Thanks for listening to the Cascade Vineyard Church Podcast. To learn more about our community or the vineyard movement as a whole, feel free to visit our website, cascadevineyard.org. There you'll also find additional teachings, information on our various ministries, and other resources for further developing your faith. We'd love to have you join us for worship. Enjoy this message. so nice to see you on this beautiful spring day. I have found uh, pastoring in the Northwest has its own unique set of challenges. One of those being that when the sun comes out, everyone flees. In Southern California for so many years, sunny days, there's a lot of them, so it doesn't really matter. You don't think about it. In fact, people are less likely... I think, to go to church on a rainy day. It's raining. We're going to get wet, and our hair is going to get all big and everything. <laughs> then we moved here, and, and, you know, things are going along smoothly, and then there's that first spring day where, you know, it's been raining for six months, and then it's beautiful out. It's a Sunday, and you come to church, there's no one here, and you go, what, what, wait, wait, time out. Where is everyone? And they're off. They're off, off. But we're so blessed, aren't we, to live in a place like we do? I mean, I always, I don't know if you guys like the stained glass back here. I love it. Just to think of being so close to the mountains and to so many hiking trails and to the, the coast. It's just, uh, it's, it's a blessing to live here. And I'm happy you guys are here on this beautiful day. So um, we are uh, finishing up, not, to, we'll finish up next week actually, but wrapping up a series titled Women in the Word. We've been at, uh, for a few weeks now, just sort of focusing on the contributions of women throughout Scripture. We started in the Old Testament and then have uh, slowly woven our way through the New Testament. Last week, we looked at two sisters, Mary and Martha. We saw that each of them was serving the Lord kind of in the way that best suited her. Uh, and, and I think the, the lesson for us or the takeaway for us in that is that we're not all the same. We're all wired differently. We have different gifts, different abilities. Uh, and, and, you know, sometimes there's a tendency between us to look down on people that don't do what we do. I don't think the Lord does that at all. I think he loves the fact that there are those that uh, have one gift and another and do different things and can contribute in different ways. So I, I think uh, we should all feel uh, free and confident and be able to just do what we do and at the same time, don't uh, be critical of those that don't do what we do and let them do what they do. So th- this morning, um, a l- little bit different today, uh, kind of file this under the, for me as thinking about it, we were talking about it a little bit in prayer beforehand, under the uh, category of ironic, in that we're going to look at the, the story of one of the better known women in the New Testament. Uh, someone whose story is uh, read and taught and told often, and yet uh, she remains nameless. We don't know her name. I mean, I don't think she's actually nameless, but we don't know her name. I'm sure she had one. Someone who, uh, other than a seemingly random encounter with Jesus, 
may have been completely overlooked in our day and was largely overlooked uh, in, her, in her own time. So our subject this morning is the woman at the well. You can go to the title slide for me there, Naomi. And let's take a, a look at her file real quick if you want to go one more for me. So we've sort of done a little uh, brief summary of each person we've looked at. This gal was a Samaritan, and we know what that means. She had had a very difficult past, and uh, the result of her past is that currently she is uh, largely ostracized and shunned by her neighbors. All of that causes her to carry with her considerable shame until she meets Jesus, and then she underwent a radical Radical spiritual transformation. All right, let's uh, let's pray and we'll we'll dig in. Father, thanks for your word again and for again this beautiful day, opportunity to be together to worship you. Thank you for our worship time this morning. Uh, we really do, Lord. We lift you up. You you, are, you. It's so we're so grateful, so thankful to to have you in our lives. Uh, open open uh, your word and lighten the eyes of our hearts that we might see and know and draw closer to you today. Your name, amen. All right, uh, her story is found in John chapter 4. It's a long passage, uh, but I'm going to go ahead and read it through anyway because uh, there's a lot of detail. John gives us a lot of detail, and some of that detail will be important as we go along. So I'm going to read... John 4, beginning in verse 4 through verse 28, and then skip to verse 39 and read through 42. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but everyone who drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir... Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming to here to draw water. He told her, go uh, call your husband and come back. "Uh, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands. The man you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit 
and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then, his disciples returned, were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? And then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him and they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days, and because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. We know that this man really is the savior of the world. So uh, the passage begins with the little phrase, he had to go through Samaria. And we will get to that in a bit, but um, first let's look at it, just a little bit of historical context here. The, uh, the hostility between the Jews and Samaritans is well documented. I think uh, we get that part. Um, it, it had uh, historical roots and also theological roots, which come up in this passage. <coughs> the Samaritans believed... Only in the Pentateuch. So their, their scripture was the Jewish first five books of the Bible. They thought that Israel was apostate, that they had fallen away from God, and that they were the true carriers, that the Samaritans themselves were true carriers of the faith. <clears throat> and well, of course, the Jews thought the same thing about them. So there was a reciprocity in their uh, lack of acknowledgement of the other's faith. Uh, the Jews also saw Samaritans as being unclean, and they even viewed the the land that they lived on as unclean, and that's why when Jews would travel, they wouldn't go through Samaria, but would always go around. So a little bit of context. Um, there is one other theological difference that also comes up. That is that... Um, Samaritans believed the place they worshiped to worship was at Mount Gerizim. Jews believed it was at the Temple in Israel, uh, in Jerusalem. So there was some, some discrepancy there. Now, as I said, John gives us a lot of detail in this story. It's, uh, it's noon, he tells us. They're in a hot climate. <coughs> it's, a, it's a hot time of the day. Jesus is tired, he's thirsty, and he sits down. This, uh, this gal shows up to get water, and there, there's a Jewish dude just hanging out at her well. Okay, whatever, you know, there's a guy here today. Um, but then, you know, she approaches, and she's going to draw the water for her home. He asks her for a drink, and this surprises her a little bit. She understands the differences. Uh, we know Jews don't associate with Samaritans. Men were not supposed to talk to women who were not their wives when they were alone. There's ruling in the law about that. There's a lot of laws in place here. Um, he wants her, furthermore, to give him a drink. He doesn't have a cup or a bucket or anything else like that. Uh, so that's gross. You, you, you know, cooties and germs and the whole thing. 
So, so this picture is wrong on multiple levels, okay? Uh, as we said last week, though, here's the thing. And, and, and again, this is just, I love this about Jesus. He doesn't care about that. Social constraint is really not a concern for Jesus. Being politically correct is, is not on the agenda. Society builds these barriers. We, we, we build in, in, in culture in general walls and barriers. Jesus, his job was just to come in and knock those things down. He starts talking to her about living water, which, of course, we know he's talking about the Holy Spirit. She didn't know that. She's thinking literally living water. Uh, you know, that's what the kingdom offers. The kingdom offers life. kingdom offers uh, freedom and, 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 you know, all the things that come with it. Uh, but she doesn't understand that. So at this point, you know, he's trying to read into her mind. She's got to be thinking, what in the heck is going on? What have I encountered here today? Uh, there, there's, there, there, you know, there's some wacko Jewish dude at my well. I don't, I don't even know what to do with this. Little, uh, sidebar up to this point, um, Everybody, you know, worshipped, as she said, in their in their own location. Uh, the Samaritans worshipped here. The Jews worshipped here. One of the things that Jesus is saying, and it was accomplished through his work, is that that's no longer going to be the case. And he's communicating that to her here. God is everywhere. He can be worshipped everywhere. You know, God can be worshipped on the mountain or at the beach. God can be worshipped in the city or the burbs. You know, in a car with a star. You can eat green eggs and ham and worship God, Sam, I am. Wherever you go, wherever you are, however you want, uh, it's not limited. Got to appreciate the children's literature, you know, commentary. Um, how, many how many hours did we spend reading Dr. Seuss as parents of children? I mean, come on. Lots, lots, and too many, too many, too, <laughs> he didn't like Dr. Seuss, Chuck. Uh, but the point being, God is not confined by time or space. Uh, we can worship God, it doesn't matter where we are. And, and I that's another beautiful thing, that you can be in your car, you can be at home, you can be, uh, you know, you sit out on your deck, you can be here, but you don't have to be here. Their conversation continues, it becomes clear that um, Jesus isn't just some rando. This is not a random encounter. He knows a lot about her. He knows her history. Uh, they talk some more. Eventually, the disciples return. They, they, <laughs> the, I love the disciples. They're, they're slow on the uptake, but they're figuring it out. They come back, and they see Jesus talking to this woman. They don't say anything. They've learned. You know, look, Jesus does some weird stuff. Don't ask questions. Just let him do what he's going to do. Stay out of it. So they just take a step back. The whole exchange, the whole dynamic here is pretty weird. It's pretty bizarre. Uh, ultimately, she leaves, and she's, she's so excited when she leaves that she leaves her her jar, her water jar behind, forgets all about the reason she came there in the first place, goes back and tells the people in her community that they need to come and see this guy. This guy knows everything about me. He's prophetic. Come and see him. Uh, again, you know, 
Her history was probably such that they wouldn't necessarily believe everything she said, but clearly something was happening. Her demeanor was such that they saw a, tr- a change in her and they thought, wow, this has got to be legit. So the whole town comes out. Uh, Jesus shares with them. He stays two more days and that's the story. So let's break this down a little bit. First thing is, is this. Jesus is very gracious towards this woman. Um, he has this word of knowledge. He knows about her past. He knows she's been married five times and lives with somebody who she's not married to now. Now, um, today, in our world today, that situation would be tabloid material, right? I, I mean, this is Kardashian territory. You've been married five times. You're living with the guy. This whole, this life, your lifestyle is out of control. But that's today. In her day, this would be unheard of. This would be absolutely unheard of. This would be such a unique and rare situation. Realistically speaking, this woman would have been a 100% total pariah, complete outcast. No one would have wanted to associate with her. And again, remember, it's a patriarchal culture. So in that culture, a woman could not file for divorce from her husband. Only a man could initiate divorce proceedings. Uh, uh, So a wealthy Gentile woman could probably file for divorce, but in the religious community between either Jews or Samaritans, that wasn't done. So point being that five guys have left this woman. So you have to ask the question, what kind of psycho is she? Okay. I mean, I'm just saying five men have married her and then left her. You can figure that out. Um, typically the gathering of water, the, the, you know, getting water from the well would take place in the early morning hours. The water was cooler, the weather was cooler, and on top of that, it was sort of a uh, a social interaction time. The women in the community would go to the well, draw their water, uh, have a cup of coffee, talk about the kids, what are you making for dinner, that kind of stuff. So there'd be this little interaction that takes place, but she doesn't go during that hour when the other women are there. Intentionally, she goes later in the day, uh, in the heat of the day, when she knows no one will be there because they don't want to be around her and she doesn't want to be around them. She doesn't want to deal with the stares and the comments and the, and the remarks and all the stuff that comes with that. So now this really is developing into a not-so-random encounter. It's becoming clear that uh, there, there's purpose in this meeting. Jesus knows her, he knows her history, he knows everything about her, and he doesn't condemn her, he doesn't criticize her, he doesn't shun her the way that others have shunned her. Instead, he makes her this offer of this living water, uh, which, you know, we know represents compassion and understanding and healing uh, and, and salvation. She doesn't immediately understand that. Interestingly enough, when when she goes and she 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 returns back. She's so excited. She leaves her jar. She goes back to town. Go to the next slide for me, Naomi, would you? This is what she tells the people in town. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. That's what she leads with. So a couple questions. One, first of all, if I'm her, 
How did he know all that? This guy's not from around here. He didn't grow up in this neighborhood. Uh, he's from a, a he's, he's not part of our people. I don't know him, never met him. How does he have this information? More importantly, how is that a good thing? The people in her town knew about her history. They already knew who she was and where she had been. And that had not brought joy to her heart. Uh, it, it, it had made her miserable. But suddenly this guy knew all about her. And it's a whole different deal. And again, she's, she's so excited that uh, people realize something has happened and they come and they hear from Jesus for themselves and he hangs out with them. So, so, so she, she has this radical, radical transformation, so much so that, you know, her, her community had to come and find out. Now, I don't know if anybody relates with her at all. You ever had anything in your past or maybe your present that um, was a little out of sync? that you're not so proud of. Maybe you've gone through seasons in your life where you feel a little bit on the outside. Maybe you've been judged. Maybe you've kind of been held at arm's length. Some folks, I suppose, have been through times in their life when they were promiscuous and uh, have had to bear some of the not-so-kind colloquialisms that might come with that. Maybe some have struggled with addiction, and uh, in the aftermath of that, you've made efforts to get up and fallen down again and again and again. There are any number of unhealthy patterns that can develop in the course of our life that might cause us to fall into a place like this person was at. I've known people, uh, I, I, knew, I, I knew this young woman once who was, was a serial shoplifter. And it wasn't that she had need of things, it was sort of like her own unique form of addiction where she had to go and take stuff. There can be, there's all sorts of patterns in life that we can easily fall into. But here's the deal. Here, here, get, get this. Here's the point. He knows. He already knows. He knows everything about you. He knows everything about you. Um, and I don't know how that makes you feel. Maybe when the reality comes that Jesus knows everything about you, you picture the long bony finger of God pointing in your direction, condemning you eternally to hell for all of your transgressions. Let me say this, that's what a Pharisee does. That's what a Pharisee does. I wonder what would have happened if this woman would have run into a Pharisee at the well that day. Or any one of a number of legalistic religious, condemnatory people today. What happens when you run into those? Those folks, folks who carry signs, folks who protest against you, folks who pass laws against you. 
But the reality is she didn't run into those people. She ran into Jesus, and he didn't do those things. And if you ever feel that condemnation on your own life for anything in your own history, you got to know this. That's not Jesus. That's just not Jesus. He's interested in one thing and one thing only, and that is giving you eternal life, living water. He's there to say, hey, I've got something that you don't know about. That's who Jesus is, and that's how Jesus views you and I and everyone else. Okay, one, uh, one last little thing we need to clear up. Why did Jesus have to go through Samaria? <clears throat> I think there's uh, two reasons. There's a, kind of a micro and a macro. The micro reason is that Jesus had to go through Samaria to meet this woman. This is really about her. Uh, and that day, that was his job. Th that was his agenda, was to, to meet her and bring life to her and speak words of acceptance and healing into her heart. This was for her. We call that uh, in the Vineyard a Divine Appointment. There, there are those times and places in which we are going about our business, doing what we're doing, unbeknownst to us, and we encounter someone, and that becomes the reason that we're actually there, that God had foreordained for us before anything, and certainly before we knew about it. So on one level, uh, that was what this was about, was Jesus meeting this woman and speaking words of life to her. However, I think there's a macro level, and the macro level is this. He had to go through Samaria because Jews and Samaritans hated each other. That's why. He had to go through Samaria to make a statement. There's a barrier between these people, and I'm going to walk right through the middle of that barrier. To, to avoid Samaria would have put another brick in the wall. And we don't need no dark sarcasm or whatever else, nobody, no 70s people in here, nobody, Aaron Smith would appreciate that. You still don't know what I'm talking about, that's a line from a Pink Floyd song. Um, but here, beside my uh, 70s ramblings, God's calling us to go through Samaria. Um, in, in Jesus' day, Understand this, the Jews did not have to learn to hate the Samaritans. That's just the way it was, okay? That had been passed down from generation to generation. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was built in. Uh, you were born with that. You were raised with that. It was generational and it was systemic, it's it was it's the same reason the the Jews hated Samaritans for the same reason that an 18 year old white guy travels 200 miles and opens fire at a shopping center in a black community with an illegally purchased automatic weapon. It's the same thing, and that's why we have to go through Samaria. That's why church. We need to pray, and we need to ask, 
where is Samaria in my life? Where is Samaria in my community, in my neighborhood? Where are you calling me to go? What walls, what barriers do you want me to break down today? Because they're there. It might be just with neighbors or friends. It could be in your own family. Um, it could be bigger than that. I don't know. But the reality is this. God is still calling his people to go through Samaria. To say, I want you to take the first step. I want you to be the one who reaches out, crosses barriers, and, and breaks down those traditional generational things that have been built up. Okay? Why don't we stand and... Um Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to sow into what God is doing through Cascade Vineyard, we always welcome your prayers for our church body, our communities, and our leadership. If you'd like to contribute financially, please visit cascadevineyard.org give.